This podcast contains material and language that may be disturbing to some listeners. While not explicit, listener discretion is advised. David and Shane discuss their random paranormal adventures and stories. We dive into paranormal cases from the past and the present. We also talk about what got us into the paranormal, the highlights, and the scary moments while on our adventures. This is Shane, and you are listening to Bear River Paranormal Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in with us on our third episode of the BRP Podcast. This is Shane. And this is David. In today's topic, we are going to dive into the spirit world. Now, last episode, we dived into talking about religion and how it plays a part with the paranormal and vice versa. This episode, we're going to be talking about the spirit world in general. The different types of things that we've experienced on our adventures in regards to the spirit world and so on and so forth. I will be talking about three different locations that my team has investigated and then David will be talking about a fairly common and fairly simple piece of equipment called the K2. So let's start off with the spirit world. Now, like I said before, we touched on it on the previous episode when it comes to religion. Now we're just going to talk about the spirit world in general and how it plays a part in what we do as a paranormal team. Essentially, there's not just spirits of humans roaming this earth. Now, this might blow your mind, but everything has a spirit to it. So if you have a dog, if you have a cat, if you have your favorite horse, doesn't matter. They also have a spirit inside them as well. Now, my team has have came across spirit of animals before. We did one location in Wyoming where they had a spirit dog. And it was confirmed when we put the K2 close to the dog bowls and it was flickering. But if you took it away about six inches, it stopped flickering. And there's also been a time or two where we've thought we've heard a cat or some sort of an animal walking in the house and in another residential. And you can tell when a human walks versus when an animal walks. It's a pretty distinctive sound that they make when they're walking. And it can be echoed in the afterlife as well. We're also going to dive into some of the other spirits that you may encounter. So you're not going to just encounter residual. You'll also encounter intelligent. You will also encounter unhuman-like entities. And what I mean by unhuman-like entities, we're talking about skinwalkers, elementals, wraiths, things of that nature. But we're going to start off with just the regular spirit world in general. Now, with my team, and I don't know about all the other teams out there, we tend to call the middle ground, where the spirits are with us, they're on the same earth as us, just in a different dimension, we call that purgatory. 
essentially it's a spirit world amongst our world and they can communicate with us they walk amongst each other and walk amongst us day and night now it's not just the human entity aspect of it that's also in purgatory too you've also got the non-human type you also have your animals so on and so forth for the for the human type there's intelligent and there's residual residual is essentially the spirit is doing the same thing over and over and over again it could be at a particular time of day or it's just a record it just goes over and over and over again we've come across those numerous times it's a common uh, paranormal occurrence to have residual type haunting can i explain a little bit more about yeah what makes it residual go ahead um so one of the big things that you get from a residual haunting is you know like the the tapping noise the the sound of someone walking or whatever it's just we call that like an echo of energy and one of the most common places you can get that is like hospitals or prisons or stuff like that because if you think about it it's also what kind of goes into what's called the stone tape theory which i'll explain a little bit about that but so if you have someone who knocks on something for the rest of their lives every day and then once they die you still hear that well it's because when they knock they're putting energy they're putting kinetic energy into something of that knocking thing so they put so much of that energy in it that over time that energy reverberates back out from that object so you get the hearing feeling of someone knocking because that's what someone did so like when someone lives in a house their whole life like 60 years and they walk through the hallways for 60 years every day whether go to work bathroom whatever then after they pass and someone else moves in they may hear that walking noise because that's what someone did for 60 years they lived there that's what we would call a residual presence or residual energy now stone tape theory that's something based on certain objects in the world like stones wood they have a specific type of a way of absorbing energy better than others so like limestone is like one of the best conductors of energy like water is a good one where it's a flow of energy and so that's where stone tape theory comes in so if you have a place that's built with certain materials they have a better chance of absorbing that energy and potentially having uh, that residual later which I completely agree with you 100% on that. That's probably the best example you'll ever get on what a residual haunting is, essentially. One example of a residual type haunting that I came across, so it kind of ties in with the stone tape theory as well. Before I started my own team, we investigated a theater. In the past, this theater has caught fire while there were occupants on the inside of this theater. During this particular investigation, out of nowhere, all of a sudden you just get a strong smell of smoke and chaos happening. And it only lasted for about, I'd say, a minute or so. And when we looked into the history of it, this particular theater did catch fire at one point in time. And there were occupants on the inside of this building. And like any, any fire that happens inside a building, what happens? Chaos erupts. People try to run out of the building, they try to extinguish the fire, stuff like that. And I believe that that was the type of residual energy that we were feeling at that particular point in time. That's one example of, of residual haunting. Another example, like David said, someone 
walks the same path day in and day out, well, that it's going to keep happening even after when they've passed away. It's that residual type energy that keeps on happening over and over and over again. And it doesn't matter, like, if you say you bought this old house from the 1920s and then you completely renovate it, and so it's not even remotely close to what it looked like back in the day. That spirit is still going to be doing the exact same thing over and over again, only this time it's not going to be down a hallway, it's going to be through a room into a wall, for example. Because at that point in time, that hallway was right there, and that room wasn't. So that that's another example of what a residual type haunting is. Now for an intelligent type haunting, we dive into... EVPs, full body apparitions, black masses, knocks, footsteps, particularly on command. Those are intelligent type hauntings. Uh, stuff being moved. Yep, stuff being moved, so on and so forth. Essentially, the spirit knows that he's a spirit. And the way that we can get them to communicate with us, because obviously it takes a bunch of energy for the spirit to say something as a disembodied voice or anything like that we use equipment like a digital recorder or we ask it to knock on a wall for us to let us know that you're here and then short time after you ask that question you hear a a knock you know it's the same thing with a footsteps can you walk across the room and a couple minutes later you hear a couple footsteps that's essentially what an intelligent haunting is is they understand exactly what we're asking and if the entity wants to communicate with us, he will do it that way. That's the easier type because it doesn't take as much energy to do so. We also use digital recorders to do that. As talking about the equipment of last episode, you know, we use the digital recorder to capture the EVP, electronic voice phenomenon, essentially the spirit trying to communicate with us. Now, in theory, it makes sense 100%. But in reality, it's flawed. And the reason why I say it's flawed is because there's such a disconnect between our world and the spirit world that the spirit could be telling us a, a freaking story and we only get a word or two. That's the reality of it. It takes a lot of energy to communicate and where we're on different dimensions, it's harder for the spirit to be able to get their voice heard and get their story out to us so that way we can talk about it as well. Talking about taking a lot of energy to do anything, it takes a lot of energy to manifest as well. So to regain a form. Now a form could be anything from an animal to a human being to even a black mass. It takes a bunch of energy to do so. But they're able to do it so that way we can see them. However, once it happens, more than likely, you're probably not going to be talking to that spirit for a while because they just use up all of their energy unless you're giving them the energy to do so in regards of an EM pump, your own energy, which I don't really recommend you doing. Or there's natural EMF in the area, so bad wiring that's emitting EMF or older appliances that are emitting EMF, spirits can use that as well. But in regards to the actual intelligent type haunting, it, it, it is a flawed thing. It's, they could be telling us a sentence and we're only getting a word or two, but we work with what we have. Now, in these modern times, there are pieces of equipment that make it easier to communicate. So, for example, David has an Ovulus 5. 
essentially the spirit will use energy to be able to manipulate that piece of equipment to form words from a data bank so that way they can communicate with us and we've had great success with that piece of equipment. By far that's a lot easier for the spirit to communicate with us than for example trying to tell us exactly their story. Another piece of equipment that's easier for them to communicate with this is the FX 2.0. I own that piece of equipment. Essentially you use yourself as the antenna and the spirit takes advantage of that to be able to manipulate the piece of equipment to talk to us. We've had great success with that piece of equipment as well. But with that FX 2.0, um, since it is using you and it spirits are using less energy, that means you are drained a lot more. Yes. So you have to be careful when you're using that piece of equipment. Yeah, it's not like a SB7 spirit box session where you can run a spirit box session for 30 minutes and be completely fine after. The longest I've been able to last is I think 10 to 15 minutes and I'm completely drained. I have to go and take a drink from my energy drink and eat some chocolate to regain my energy from doing that session because it's very, very draining. But it's beneficial to the spirit because they don't use as much as their energy so we can move to another piece of equipment and still carry on that line of communication as well. But essentially, an, an intelligent haunting is the spirit knows what it's doing. It knows exactly what it's doing. It knows what you're doing. And it's willing to communicate. Some of them are. Some of them are just not willing to communicate at all. They just want to be left alone. And as long as you don't screw with them, they don't screw with you. Which I completely get that on that aspect. Then we start diving into the other things in the spirit world itself. Now, you might have heard me mention some weird words like wraith, skinwalkers, elementals, stuff like that. Those are the non-human type entities that are in the spirit world as well. So, think of... what would be a good example? Think of... If dinosaurs were still on this planet, we coincided with dinosaurs. That would be kind of like the same concept on the spirit world. These creatures are not normal. These creatures are not human-based. They've never taken a form before. They've never... They never lived. And some of them, particular types of entities, have been brought up due to culture. One example, the native culture. They believe in skinwalkers. They believe in elementals. They believe in wraiths. They believe in a bunch of other things that we don't typically talk about in modern-day religion and modern-day society. But essentially, skinwalkers originated from the natives elementals it's kind of came from all over the place some natives believe in it it came from europe and other places as well but essentially elementals are the four elements you're talking about earth wind fire and air then we start talking about other forms of beings like wraiths and there's so many other ones that we could dive into, but those are pretty much the common ones that everybody seems to talk about. But let's start with skinwalkers. So skinwalkers originated from the native culture. 
Skinwalker is an entity that has the looks and the appearance of human, but can morph into a, an animal. Certain people have seen these types of entities. They are very, very aggressive. They will harm you to the point of near death, if given the opportunity. Natives have been using them to inflict chaos on other tribes for decades. One example, which is the more common one, the Navajo Nation has uh, cursed the land over there by Vernal Duchesne area in Utah, where Skinwalker Ranch is, hence the name. That whole area got cursed by the Navajo Nation because of the wars between the two tribes there. I can't remember the tribe that, that was there at that particular time that was having the war with the Navajos, but the Navajos are the ones that cursed the land. That's, from my understanding, that was told to me in some of the research that I've done into this. Now, if that's completely wrong, please let me know and send me references on how that is wrong, and I'll gladly correct myself, but from my research, that's what I've been able to find. Skinwalkers are... they're nasty. They are a nasty, non-human entity. They will cause hell in your life. I mean, you thought a demon was bad. Skinwalkers are just as worse. And if you're not careful, you could be bringing something home. There's been numerous times where I've driven down to Vernal and native warriors have protected myself and whoever was in my vehicle with me at the time when I drive through that danger zone. I've heard of people being up in that particular area. Now it just doesn't have to be in that area too. There's also been documented sightings of skinwalkers in Box Elder County, which is across the, up from, up from David, up north from David, and just directly southwest of where I'm at. There's been documented sightings of skinwalkers up there, wraiths, elementals, stuff like that. So it doesn't have to be in one particular area. It could be anywhere. But they also take a dog-like figure as well, kind of like a deformed wolf type of figure. And they don't look natural. They don't walk natural. They don't act natural. Nothing's natural about it. And usually, if you come across a skinwalker, you best get out of there, like, ASAP. Like, don't even look back. Just turn around and just keep going. Because that's how they'll be able to suck you in. You start doubting that you're getting away from them, and then that's when they strike. And then you're in a whole world of hurts. Elementals. They're based on the four elements. There's one elemental for each element. Elementals, they can cause hell in your life, especially if they're brought into your home. The biggest thing is a lot of people don't balance out their houses. And when I mean balance out their houses, they're not balancing out their house with the four major elements. If you're hot and heavy in one element and lacking in one, that's a perfect recipe for an elemental to come into your house. Yeah, because, I mean, we don't really know the basis of, like, why they came to being. Because they're more of a chaotic neutral, meaning they're not there specifically to cause your life harm, but once they're there, they kind of just are a swirling thing. And yeah, that's what the thing is, is like, so if you have something, what is the most common one? I think it's water, right? Water, water and fire 
No, because, water and air are the more common ones. Because everyone's got plumbing in their house, right? So everyone's got mm -hmm. water. And then most people usually have like air conditioning or fans. So there's your wind. So then if you don't have like enough like plants or rocks in your house and you have water, you'll more likely get a water elemental. So if you mm -hmm. get, bring in the plants, you bring in like some rocks. One of the best things to do is to get a salt lamp because that counts for everything. And then fire, this one's up in the air, whether... Shane, I think you believe that electricity is the same as fire. Yes. But I, I, I don't feel that, so I would recommend maybe like a candle, you know, here and there. But, I mean, I wouldn't know if electricity would be considered fire to an elemental, but that's just me. But, mm -hmm. so, yeah, you, you get you get the plants, you get some stones maybe, then you, you only have your wind, obviously, fans, and then your water. Then you have more of a balanced households so you're less likely to get elementals and you can even take it one step further and getting like little water fountains and place one in every room or one in every other room or something like that because even even though yet yeah, every house is plumbed it's most of the piping is insulated and and through metal and everything so usually what we recommend to balance out the house just try to have all four elements present so stones plants for earth a candle for fire just a small little water fountain like that you can get from walmart or something as for water and then a fan or your air conditioning or your heater for air to or even opening out. your windows yeah. in the summer because that's air coming through your house so yeah exactly so as long as you balance out your house it's you won't have any problems, but if you're hot and heavy in one thing and lacking in another, you're going to be in a whole world of hurts. And we've done cases where we've come across elementals. Primarily, we've came across water and air elementals. Fire and... I can't remember if we came across a fire and elemental or not, but by far the worst one to deal with and the most complicated one to deal with is the earth one. Because what is everything else based off of? Based off of Earth. If there wasn't Earth, we wouldn't have wind, fire, or water. Yeah. So Earth is by far the strongest element out there next to fire. Because the fire, like the sun, is fire, essentially. So the only other thing that's more powerful than Earth would be fire. But... In the paranormal terms, Earth is by far the most complicated. The easiest one to get rid of is air. Air is by far the easiest one to get rid of. Earth is... We haven't... I personally have not come across an Earth elemental. Diana has a few times. I do believe the last residential that we had that had that elemental, it was a... Water, water elemental? Yes, yes yeah, water. that's what I thought. I think I've dealt with three maybe four water elementals yeah I, 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 that's the most common for sure and it's it's weird too when uh when i either a come across them or b start to feel as if there's uh an elemental because you don't really have a shape or see what an elemental looks like uh in your mind's eye but you just start get feeling of something there and uh, it's just weird. Like it's almost like a blob. It's like when you picture an elemental, because an elemental really doesn't have 
uh, shape if you think about it because it's it's an element it's a substance that you can see see mm-hmm. like in water but it almost does have like a type of force to it but it's mm-hmm. like a weird almost looks like a, a blackened blob yeah when you do kind of run across an elemental and that's that would be by far the best explanation of what an elemental is i mean it's you try to communicate with them they won't speak to you they because they don't know they they don't talk the biggest sign that you have an elemental in your house if you feel like you're getting oppressed and suppressed and shit's just going south for you every which way possible nine times out of ten it could be an elemental or it could be malicious entity for how long i've been in this field these non-human entities are still semi-new to me so it's still it takes me a while and i don't know about you david but it takes me a while to be able to hone in on if it is an elemental or not i think on the last residential we were on you were the one that pointed out that it was an elemental first if i remember correctly just doing the walkthrough for the first 20 minutes of being there just looking through the house i had an immediate sense. I'm like, I I guarantee there's a water elemental here. And yeah. I, that's when I started asking the questions. I was like, Do you guys have problems with water, like sinks, like even when they're shut off, still leaking, or like your washing machines not been working lately? And just when you have problems that are related to that element, because like I said, it's a chaotic neutral, so they're they're not out to hurt you, but stuff's just kind of going bad and wrong here and there and you don't understand why things you know you're like oh bad luck but sometimes it's just their chaotic sense that things got to just get messed up and they said yeah with all the things i listed like oh yeah we have that we have that we have that because what made me think is when we were walking past the bathroom corner of my i'm like i feel like there's something in there and i walk in there and i i'm like something was just in here i could feel it and then i look at the sink and it's just dripping water and i'm like hmm i have a feeling Mm-hmm. Well, we went from there, and I think it was confirmed that it was something that was in there, amongst other things. Yeah. When it comes to elementals, don't confuse them to malicious entities as well. Because I also did a separate cleansing where this particular malicious spirit was causing electrical issues in their house. Now, at the time I had Diana with me when we were doing the cleansing, so it was pretty easily, pretty apparent that it was a malicious entity, not a, not an elemental. But for people that have not experienced this, don't jump to conclusions right quick. I mean, it's, malicious entities can do the exact same thing that an elemental could do, only a malicious spirit will tell you to fuck off or do something else versus uh, elemental, you're not going to get any audio evidence. In fact, that residential case that you were with me, David, we hardly got any audio evidence. It was mostly visual evidence. But some malicious entities will communicate. They'll probably lie to you most of the time. Nine-tenths of the time, they're usually lying to you. They won't tell you your real name or or anything like that. And, and, th- and that's a whole nother thing. Well, what's weird is usually I don't think we've ever had a case where it's just an elemental. Usually there's other spirits and factors yeah. in play, and then there just happens to also be an elemental there. So like I said, they they just are bursted of chaos. So if something's already there, whether it be a portal or another spirit, they just kind of find their way in 
to the mixture of what else is going on there. Because, like, yeah. like I said, I don't think we've ever had a case where it's, oh, you just got one elemental, that's it. Yeah. Usually, if there's spirit, there can be an elemental and vice versa. Usually, in times of chaos, yes, the elemental will be there and the other spirits will feed off of that elemental because that elemental is given out free energy for those spirits. Once you right. eradicate the elemental, then it's a lot easier to eradicate everything else inside that house. But you always have to eradicate the elemental first because if you try to eradicate the spirits and then the elemental... Well, you just fed that elemental energy, and so now it's going to be ten times harder for you to get rid of. I know that because we did that. Yeah. That was a, that was a huge fail on my part, but at the time, even to this day, dealing with these non-human entities are still a newer thing that we're dealing with, you know? So it's it's a learning experience, you know? You, you fail one time, you learn... You apply that learning ability to the next time. And luckily, we were able to to ratify the issue on the second and third visit and take care of that family. But it didn't help that we did everything completely wrong the first time, and that caused even more issues. So cleaning up those issues wasn't particularly good, but it was a learning experience nonetheless. And I'm not saying that we're perfect either. You know, we're, we, we're human. We're, we make mistakes. And especially with this paranormal field, it's you got to try one thing, and if that doesn't work, you got to try another. And where we don't really have that much experience with the elementals, we just we weren't equipped at that time to handle that situation. When we came back the second time, we were well equipped, and then when we did the follow-up appointment, everything was copacetic from there on out. But I'd rather be transparent to you guys to know that, yeah, I fucked up. As the leader of the group, I will take full responsibility for that. Yeah, I definitely did screw up and cause more harm than good, but we were able to ratify the issue and caused more good than harm afterwards. So, that's how the paranormal field is. I mean, it's trial and error. Now, you keep hearing me talk about malicious entities. Malicious entities, they can be in human form and non-human form. Other types of non-human entities, shapeshifters. You've probably heard about shapeshifters. You've probably heard about Slenderman as well, even though that's a heavily contested non-human entity in the paranormal field. I still believe that there can be a actual true Slenderman because Slenderman was never a human, never was a human, never will be a human. Well, he's a birth of fear, mm-hmm. so if enough people believe in something you can inadvertently create something yep so if everyone thinks like uh, this is a good example for uh, a location that we've done that we'll probably talk about maybe but i won't say the name everyone kept saying that uh it was demonic 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 you know everyone kept saying that and then we go there and then we find out oh it's not as bad as everyone said it was but there's a potential for that to be true because if everyone is going into this place knowing oh there's gonna be a demon here there's gonna be a demon here then your mind your subconscious is gonna basically create that fear and on a subconscious level it is real but it's not actually true mm-hmm. and so that's yeah. a big problem with with all that is you think that something's evil there's something bad there and if enough people believe in it they could inadvertently create that evil and we get those calls we get people saying that i have a demon in my house 
Okay, do you really have a demon or is it just some pissed off spirit? We get there and it's just some pissed off spirit, it's not a demon. Like we said in prior episodes, demonic presence in a location is 2% or less. It's always going to be something malicious or something non-human. But most people don't know that. They either think that they have a ghost or they have a demon in their house. Which is fine. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing at all. But if you start feeding into it and you're feeding into it for a long period of time, that thought may turn into reality. And most people don't realize that the human psyche is probably the most powerful thing on this planet. You wish for something, it could come true. Especially when it comes to entities and spirits. So if you keep saying that, yeah, I have a demon attached to me, I have a demon in my house. Eventually, you're just open that door up for potentially failure. You're going to allow something on that level to inhabit your house and you're going to be in a whole world of hurts. That's if you're going to be savable at that point in time. Now for the malicious entities. Malicious is basically how it means. Malicious intent. If you were malicious when you were a human, when you were alive, you're going to be malicious when you're dead. It, that's basically the sum of it. I don't know of anybody that have passed over and became a better person on the afterlife than they were as a human being. I haven't came across that. Don't quote me on that, but I've never come across that. Usually if you're a jackass when you're alive, you're a jackass when you're dead. And that's what we've come across, you know? Some of these bitter old people that die bitter, they stay bitter in the afterlife. Now, malicious entities can do anything and of anything to cause chaos in your house, basically becoming a, a pest. They could hide things from you, they can open and close doors, they can cause electrical failures, they can cause equipment failures, they can cause battery drain, they can cause you to be drained. You know, the list can go on. To the point where they could be causing bodily harm to you, like scratching you, bruising you, causing nightmares while you're sleeping, stuff like that. Those are the ones that we typically deal with on a case-by-case -case basis. Usually there's the one ruler in the house, which is the malicious entity that's suppressing everything else. And if you can eradicate that particular entity, then everything else is a cakewalk from there on out. Now there's some locations where we just can't ratify them, like when we did Hooper Springs Park up in Soda Springs. You know, there's a lot of bad energy up there. And it doesn't help that they use the natural hot springs as a uh, energy mechanism to be able to do what they do. So far, the two residential cases and that Hooper Springs Park investigation that we've done up there has been by far malicious intent, malicious everything. Well, really... There's not many residential cases that we've done that we actually haven't resolved anything. The only time I don't think we've actually resolved anything is when they themselves didn't keep up on keeping their home protected. Yeah. Which, most of the time, it can be resolved unless they're not willing to put forth the effort. But most people that don't come across entities all the time like we do, they don't know what they're doing. Especially some of these teams... 
these newer teams that go out and investigate and they don't know what the hell they're doing, but that's a topic for another day. Did you want to add anything on top of what I've been talking about, David? Not really, because, like I said, the only thing I've ever really come across to definitely humans. When it comes to something that's different, I just refer to it as a non-human. I don't, I don't really have enough evidence to specifically call it anything else until someone else that's got better gifts than me can specifically tell me. But based on what I get, if it's not a human, I'll just refer to it as a non-human. But I won't say it's like, oh, it's a demon. It's just, it's something non-human that's, you know, being a jerk. But I, I like I said, I've never come across uh, anything uh, demonic before. I mean, I've definitely come across stuff that is nasty and can do bad stuff. Whether it be attachments to a person, attachment to objects, or other things like that. But I've never actually come across a demon uh, to where I was fearful for my life. So, no, I don't got much uh, else to add on that. And I will add that in regards to what you said, now, these malicious entities, they like to make themselves bigger and badder. And they like to portray themselves as something else. And I think that ties into the whole when a client calls in and says they have a demon in the house, that particular malicious entity is probably presenting themselves as a demon, even though they're not a demon. It's another type of shape-shifting that spirits actually do. When you're a spirit, you can actually shape-shift into anything that you want. Typically, you just keep the same form that you were when you were alive, which was human. But in the spirit world, I mean, anything is a possibility. We've come across spirits that have tried to present themselves as Lucifer himself or some type of other demonic type entity when we know for a fact that no, you're not a demon, you're just a malicious asshole that just wants to try to instill fear into us so that way we don't eradicate you, but we push through it and we eradicate the issue. But then there's times where it can be questionable, like when we did Media Riff, I'm pretty certain that was a low-level demon that I saw walking up the stairs because of that Ouija board. But, that's just my personal opinion on that from what I saw. Now, when I mean by I saw, not saying particularly that I saw a full-fledged demon walking up the stairs, what I saw was a brief image in my mind that the spirit portrayed himself to me as and it looked like a full-on demon what i saw i definitely don't recommend anybody else seeing i'm not going to be able to not see that ever again it's always going to be sitting in the back of my mind now to clarify we did not bring this ouija board into this location we don't believe in ouija boards we don't use ouija boards and we condone anybody to use ouija boards now with that being said this particular location that we did I'm not going to go into too much detail, but we did find a used Ouija board that was being repurposed for something else for the people that were in that property. They didn't know it was used. They bought it secondhand, which they've bought a lot of things secondhand for what they're doing on their end. I'm not going to really go into detail on that. Well, they were just gifting it to someone else. Someone requested it, and they were just bought it, and they were going to give it as a gift. So they weren't having any intentions to use it or anything like that. But and it's we, part we of their talk... little project that they were doing. Yeah. Because it had something to do with their YouTube channel and stuff. But I, I'm not going to go into detail on that because I don't want to give out too much information. 
And we could talk more about Ouija boards in a future episode for sure. Yeah, of course. About our actual uh, personal opinions and why we think they're bad and whatnot. Yeah. We will definitely dive heavily into that particular topic, and it's one of the more contested topics out in the paranormal field. But we were dealing with this particular Ouija board where I made the stupid mistake of opening up the box because, oh, let's just face it, curiosity kills the cat and it almost kills me every single time that happens. But I opened up the box and that's what caused a lot of the other issues to happen throughout that night. And we ended up having to cleanse this particular board before we left the location. You had an ooh shiny moment. Yeah, I definitely had a new shiny <laughs> moment. I have those a lot lately, and it ends up biting me in the ass every single time. What I saw coming up the stairs that this malicious entity was portraying to me was a demon walking up the stairs. And part of me feels like it is a low-level demon, but another part of me thinks that it's just a very malicious entity. Those that are aware of what the Ouija board is and know the, the common demon that comes through the Ouija board. That's what I was thinking who it was. Still not 100% sure though, but that's just my theory. But that night was chaotic as it is. I think I locked up my knee wet twice that night, fell up the stairs while equipment was going off, and a few other things that were happening as well. We got, uh, I think a, a lot of stuff from from there. Yeah. And I mean, we've been there before too, so it was just a night and day difference because when we were there before, it wasn't as bad. And I mean, it was kind of mellow on the stuff we got. Then this last time we were there, even right off the bat when we were uh, in the basement, I had a feeling that there was a portal there that was not there before. And I even said that. And we got a, an interesting response. And then come to find out right after I said that, that, oh, we found an Ouija board. And then it's like, well, I, I guessed it. <laughs> and then, yeah, things were a lot different than than we were got in the past. So it, it made a difference. And speaking of portals, this also ties in with the uh, spirit world as well. Portals are a interdimensional doorway for spirits to cross from one dimension to another, i.e. cross from the spirit world over into the human world. You've heard me mention it a few times uh, from my personal experience, and then we we were talking about this particular portal on this episode as well. I've come across hundreds of portals. It's a common occurrence. I mean, it, it happens everywhere. Not saying that it's a bad thing, but it can be a bad thing, especially if it's allowing malicious and non-human entities into your location. They can be easily be closed if you know what you're doing. Every portal that we've come across, we've closed them. We've even came across a mirror that we believe was a portal as well. Uh, I don't. Were you with me on that one, David? No. Okay. No. Uh, but do you want to talk about the mirrors in general, why it relates to the spirit world, or do you want to wait until we do another episode on haunted objects? We'll talk about that more on the haunted objects episode okay. because it kind of ties into both. Okay. But yeah, we, we've even come across a mirror that was a portal as well. But mirrors can be also used as haunted objects as well. They could have attachments on them. But portals, you can tell when a portal is in a house. You, it, it's a different type of feeling than just a normal spirit in a house. 
It has a different type of energy, and usually you can hone in onto it, and then you use a pendulum to be able to locate them, because portals emit energy, and the energy interacts with, with the pendulum that you use to search for those particular portals. And usually, now, how I usually do it is I try to sit very, very still. So I like to be up against something or try to rest my arms on something so that way my hands stay completely steady so I can watch the pendulum. Now, I've always been skeptical of pendulums up until the last couple of years I've been starting to use them because they're actually pretty reliable as a source of communication and be able to find portals and, and so on and so forth. Well, I think they're good for you personally, but they're yeah. a hard tool to convince others that yeah. what you're getting is evidence because it's more validation for you and your personal arsenal. But recording me using a pendulum, anyone can say, oh, he's just moving his wrist and I have no way of proving that I'm not. So that's where I think yeah. it's more for you personally. And which I completely agree with you. That's why I, I say whenever I use my pendulum, I try to keep my hands completely freaking still. Like, if I'm having a day where I'm just shaking a lot, I'm not going to use a pendulum because that's just going to interfere with what I'm trying to, to get at. But usually I try to be as steady as I possibly can. In fact, I like to, even if I were to try to get on camera, I want my hands in the shot as well. Because I want people to see what my hands are doing versus what the pendulum's doing. And if I'm keeping my hands completely still, and that pendulum is just spinning, hardcore, I want to be able to document that and show that to people that, you know, pendulums can be used as a tool in the paranormal, as long as they're used correctly. I still have my doubts about pendulums as well, and especially when other people start using pendulums, because what I'm staring at is their hands. And if I see their hands moving ever so slightly, you know, I start questioning and then I start busting out my own pendulum and keep my hand completely still and see if I'm replicating the same thing. But that's the scientific side of my brain, you know what I mean? Yeah. The skeptical side of my brain. But you can use a pendulum and you can't just use any pendulum. The pendulum has to speak to you when you're using it. So if you're using a pendulum that doesn't go along with you, doesn't jive with your energy, it's not going to happen. But surprisingly enough, the copper one that I bought not too long ago because I had another one of those ooh shiny moments. Beautiful pendulum. It actually works very, very well. And I think there was a reason why that one jumped out at me. I don't think it was just because it was all nice and shiny and, you know, having that ooh shiny moment. I think there was a reason why I need to get this pendulum because it's worked on every single investigation that I've used it since. But I also have a stone one that was picked for me and it felt like it was part of my family. You know, when I grabbed onto it for the first time, it felt like it was right. But that's another topic, another episode. One thing to keep up on portals is when you tell that there is a portal, some people vary, but I know one of the uh, good signs you get like, uh, if you're standing in it, in the area, you get like a vertigo or an unbalanced feeling, you know, like you're on a ship, but then, you know, and you start feel like you're falling over. That's a pretty good sign that you're in a, a vortex that mm -hmm. a portal can create. Uh, yeah. Sometimes that happens to me. Sometimes I can just, just get a feeling where in my head, I feel like it is, but it's not like that actual physical feeling that's affecting mm -hmm. my body but i do can get that a lot which it's it's a little tricky because you can also get that feeling like vertical and stuff from other spirits too like just 
manipulating or like being in your area you know you can also get that same feeling so it's the feelings that your body gets you got to kind of listen to because they kind of point you in the direction of trying to figure out what's going on exactly and with that regard if you have a sensitivity to emf basically if you get headaches walking into a particular room that has a bunch of electronics the same thing could happen to you if you come across a portal particularly a pretty strong portal it emits energy, emits EMF. Some people actually get sick from high levels of EMF. And some people will have bad dreams. Some people will, will sweat and feel like they're going to pass out or faint. So another tall tale sign that if there's a portal in the house is if the client says, well, every time when I walk into this room, I instantly get a headache and I just feel sick. I just don't feel good. I feel like the room's spinning. And then I walk out of that room and it all goes away. That's a, that's a pretty good indicator that there's a portal in that room, either that or the electrical in that house is so badly done that it's becoming a health hazard, or you could be causing your own harm by placing electronics close to you when you're sleeping or anything like your that. Your Wi-Fi router. Yeah. In fact, there was one residential we did baselines at, and this one lady, she kept on saying that she kept on having these horrible dreams, and weird stuff is happening, she she always had headaches, and yada yada yada. Well, come to find out, where her room is and where her bed is, literally right across the wall. So she sleeps on one side of the bed, there's her nightstand, and then there's a wall, and then on the other side of that wall is the living room. Well, that's where the TV and the... DVD player and everything else is, and their router. So I told her because I was sitting on her bed and I'm watching the K2 and the K2 keeps on spiking up to red, just sitting on her bed. So I told her, move the router, this should resolve your issue. And I ain't kidding you, if I didn't get a phone call three days later saying that ever since I moved the router, I haven't had any headaches, haven't felt sick, and I haven't had nightmares ironic how emf can cause chaos within your own human psyche and your own physical wellness as well so that also ties in with the whole portal thing because it produces so much energy that it can affect people differently some people are as dense as a brick and they don't feel it some people are so sensitive that it causes vertigo it causes the room to spin you feel like you might have the flu until you walk out of that room and then, oh, I feel 10 times better. And it doesn't have to be just for that particular room. If you ever come across a portal that's so powerful, which that can happen, it affects everything inside the house. It doesn't matter what part of the house you're in, you're just feeling that effect of it. And you could be in your house and you feel like you're grumpy, don't feel good, you never feel good, you feel like you're getting depressed until you walk outside and then all those symptoms just shed away and you're getting the natural emf from the sun the ground the earth and you're getting the natural air everything like that and you're starting to feel better that's called grounding well yeah to a point but i'm just talking about just walking out onto the to the sidewalk with your shoes on and just getting away from that toxic environment of high levels of emf from that portal you're starting to feel 10 times better because you just removed yourself from that situation. Well, in the electrical field, we have something similar to, to what uh, humans do when it comes to grounding. You know, when you go out in the ground and you release all that negative energy, 
what you do is so we've gone into a house where we have our equipment and the EMF's just off the chart. No matter where you go in the house, it's just it's like above above a five, no matter where you're at. And that's pretty high EMF that no matter where you're in the house, you're gonna get affected. And what you do what you can do is drive a, a ground rod. It's a solid piece of copper rod that's pretty decent size in diameter, six inches in diameter, and you bury it 16 feet deep into the ground, and then you hook up that like a cable, it's like a 16 gauge copper wire and you hook it up to the pipe that's barely sticking up out of the ground and you hook it up into your panel and then boom it clears out all the uh the emf because it's grounding all that electrical in the house to the ground where i wasn't having good grounding before and yeah. then now that house is emf is not as bad as it was that's just based on david's electrical background of being an electrician and everything and and it plays a huge role in the paranormal as well in my experience, so where I live now, it's a well-grounded house. The place that I was living at before was not a well-grounded house. In fact, this place was so old that it still had the old tube fuses for the electrical panel. The house was not grounded. And if you used the microwave and had the AC on at the same time, it tripped the breaker. breaker. I know it's kind of off topic, but... It plays into what we were just talking about, but the way that I have my office set up is I have these two old school switch boards. They're kind of like electrical strips, only they're kind of bigger, they're longer, and they have switches on them, and you can set things on top of them. I've used them for years. I've had them ever since I was a wee little lad. They've always worked well for me. It's basically an easy way to be able to, to tie in your monitors to one and then tie in your computers and everything else in, in another. And you can use two different outlets for them and so on and so forth. Well, one of them has a light for ground, has a light for protected, and has a light for telecom. Obviously, in this day and age, no one's using landlines anymore. And if you are using a landline, it's a voice over IP. But the protected and the ground portions should be lit. If you plug this into an outlet, then the house is well grounded. Well, at this last place that I was living at when I plugged it in only protected was lit up ground was not lit up now if you're a techie and if you're into computers and everything like that you want everything that you own protected and grounded so that way you don't get energy spikes electrical spikes anything like that that could fry your SSD solid-state drive your hard drive your motherboard your CPU your RAM your graphics card so on and so forth the last place that I was at was not properly grounded and just my computers alone because I run a server as well just between those two computers it would constantly trip the breaker so I couldn't have both of them running on at the same time I had to do one or the other or have them on at the same time but quickly get my stuff done and then turn off the other turn off the server and this place that I'm at now it's well grounded I haven't had a look at issues plugging in everything and I even run a surge protector uh, battery backup in the whole nine yards and I don't have any issues so that kind of plays into the whole grounding of the whole entire house it needs to be done a lot of modern day houses are like that all the old houses are not like that unless the house has been recently renovated and that addition has been put in place wouldn't you agree David Oh yeah, it's you'd be surprised how simple fixing something as 
minor as that could fix their whole issue that they've been having. And then spirits can even feed off that too, even if there are spirits in a not good grounded home, because then the spirits will feed off because it's basically free energy that they're getting that's just seeping mm-hmm. through their house. So it could actually make them, you know, much stronger that way because they're just getting free, you know, energy. So that's going to wrap up our topic of the spirit world. I'm sure there's a lot of other things that we can dive into, but we also want to keep this relatively, you know, under control time-wise. So if need be, if you guys want us to talk more about this particular topic or have ideas on what we can talk about on top of this topic, just let us know. And we can definitely do another episode going back into this topic and talk about some of the other things, the other aspects of that as well. But what we touched on is the major aspects, you know, the residual versus intelligent haunting. Then you also have non-human-like entities on top of the human-like entities, the malicious entities, and the possibility of demonic portals, grounding, stuff like that. That's basically the gist of the spirit world. And like I said before, there's probably other things that we haven't even touched on that if you want us to touch on, just let us know. We'll definitely research it and we can talk about it on the next episode so for our next segment we're going to talk about three different cases that we did now these cases are public to anybody these locations are public to anybody when i started the group you know obviously i wanted to focus on residential investigations also work on business leads and business clients and do investigations there but we also wanted to investigate urban legends public open areas so on and so forth So the first location that I'm going to talk about is Providence Canyon. Now, Providence Canyon is located just due east of Providence, Utah, and Providence, Utah is just south of Logan, located in Cache County. There's been reports of UFO sightings. There's been reports of spirits, particularly native spirits, other spirits, stuff like that. When we went up there... There was a fair amount of activity. I mean, we, from what I can remember and what I reviewed on that particular case, we did have some activity. We did catch one particular picture that looked like there was someone sitting on the hillside. I took another look at it. It still looks about the same as what I originally thought years ago when we did this particular case. Outside of that, we didn't gather too much evidence, but it was a fun experience nonetheless. A lot of hiking. So if you're not in shape, it was it was kind of a... Kind of a hard hike to do, but everybody was able to, to get up onto the hillside and get up in the canyon. And we investigated up by the rock quarry and all the way down to the mouth of the canyon. So it, it was fairly active. It was a fairly active location. I mean, if you if you know what you're looking for, you'll definitely feel it and you'll definitely have the experience to it. But there wasn't really too much to it. The next location that we did, we did Logan Canyon. Logan Canyon is just due north of Providence Canyon, and it's just due east of Logan. The major road that goes there ties into Garden City and Bear Lake to Logan, and then from Logan, you can travel through Sardin Canyon and get to the freeway and get to anywhere else and into the state. Logan Canyon houses quite a few things up there. Most people will know Logan Canyon for the nunnery, aka St. Anne's Retreat. And also, other people can tie Logan Canyon into the natives that also inhabited this area at the time. 
when I did Logan Canyon, the basis of it was to see if we can communicate with anybody that had lost their lives in that canyon. Because that canyon is is a bitch to drive through in the middle of winter. Especially after a fresh snowstorm. And the plows have already been out, but there's still a shit ton of snow out on the roads. A lot of people don't drive the speed limit and don't take the precautions necessary to drive through that canyon safe. And so there's always accidents, there's always deaths. People have died in the river because of accidents. So I basically wanted to see if I can reach out to any spirits in this particular canyon that have passed away. Didn't really... We didn't really get too much activity, to be quite honest with you, which was quite surprising to me, especially where Logan Canyon also has a major river that flows right next to the road as well. So you got... The energy from the cars, you have the energy from the river, and then you have the energy from all of the accidents and all of the deaths that have happened up there, not including that this was all native land on top of that. To me, that was a recipe for an awesome night. It wasn't so much. Didn't really get much evidence, to be quite honest with you. The feeling was quite neutral through the whole entire canyon. Obviously, other parts of that canyon, particularly towards certain areas, were not so much, but that could be a story for another day, if I can even still talk about it. But the feeling in that particular canyon was pretty much neutral. We didn't really gather much of anything evidence-wise from that location. We were out there, I think, a total of like four to six hours, and we didn't get much of anything. The plan is to go back out to Logan Canyon again to investigate it, but we'll see how that goes. There's also a few other canyons that I also want to check out. Anybody that's local will know the infamous Green Canyon and Smithville Canyon as well. Those, from my understanding, have a lot of activity, but we haven't been able to get up there and actually do them quite yet. So those are on the docket to get done eventually. So the last case that I want to talk about was Lewiston Cemetery. Now this was my first ever cemetery to investigate and to be quite honest with you, it was a disappointment. Wasn't active at all. We went through the ropes to get permission from the city to investigate this cemetery and so that way the cops don't harass us while we're doing our investigations. It was really just not active. I mean, it was the feeling was fairly neutral. Didn't gather any evidence. It is a newer cemetery, yes. But the community has been there since the 1800s if I remember correctly. But if I if maybe I think if I remember correctly there were some older graves there, but I think they were buried in other places. I think they were buried in Logan Cemetery and possibly Franklin Cemetery. Franklin Cemetery is actually quite active, and it's literally a stone throws away from Lewiston to Franklin. Like, if you stand in in the daytime, you stand in the middle of Lewiston Cemetery, and you look about northeast-ish, you can see Franklin County, or Franklin City Cemetery right there. So it's not that far. But a huge difference between those two cemeteries. Like I said before, it wasn't that active. It was lackluster at best. So, it took a while. It took quite a few years to 
go to another cemetery and investigate it because I kind of just got turned off to the whole cemetery thing after the first experience, which that was probably my mistake. I shouldn't have turned off my interest to that and should have hit up a few other cemeteries that night, but you know, I was new. I was a greenhorn, didn't really think things through. Now, looking back at it, it's like, oh, I could have just went over to this other cemetery, checked out another cemetery, but you know, you live, you learn. But we've done quite a few cemeteries since then, and by far we've hit some active cemeteries, and we've hit some pretty surreal ones, especially out in Kentucky, right, David? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I don't think the cemeteries have to be old for you to get stuff. I think it's more of a matter of uh, the circumstances in which they died and how they're buried, because if you think about it, hopefully most cemeteries aren't haunted, because when they're laid to rest, hopefully they're in peace but you'll get a lot of people that are buried because they died tragically or they don't know that they're dead so they try to find their body because they think if they can get back to their body they can come back to the world of the living so yeah. i think that's where you get more cemeteries that are haunted not just because there are dead bodies there but just you know for the reason of that's where their bodies and sometimes they get probably protective of their body which to me doesn't make sense but that's for another matter um, that if you potentially desecrate their bones that they will get really angry but you know it's the spirit can't do nothing about that at that point because it's not theirs anymore they have no connection to those bones mm -hmm. so it's, it's very interesting to feel that you know well because people in real life are attached to something so if you come steal something of mine I'll be upset so they would feel the same way in death because the only thing they have left that they can call their own is their body. And I'm sure that that particular night that we went out there and investigated that cemetery, I'm sure it was probably one of those off nights where it wasn't active at all. And I'm sure if we probably would have went the night before or the night after, it was probably pretty active. But like I referenced before, I was new, didn't really know anything. I was a greenhorn. Mistakes were made. I've learned. In fact, we did a cemetery tour, what, two years ago? And we went to, what, four or five different cemeteries, David? And we caught activity in almost every single one of them? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, pretty much mostly in the Idaho area. Yeah. I think we did one in Utah or two in Utah. We I think we did have, four. I, I think we did four in Idaho and four in Utah. We might have. But nothing past Logan. Like, they were really close to the Idaho and yeah, pretty much everyone, we got at least something. And then I think most notably was the one where we were talking to a girl that committed suicide. Yeah. But cemeteries have tons of energy to them, but that doesn't mean there's a lot of spiritual activity there. I yeah. think there's, there's two different things to, to that. But those are the cases that I wanted to reference for this episode. Now, David would like to talk to us about one of the most widely used piece of equipment in the paranormal, the most easily obtained piece of equipment in the paranormal, and the most basic piece of equipment in the paranormal. That would be the K2, David. Yes, because we're, uh, last time we talked about, you know, a digital recorder, and, uh, this is in, keeping in line with, uh, equipment that you want to get maybe first when you're first starting out in equipment. And most people, I would recommend get, uh, K2s because they're pretty inexpensive well they're like what 50 bucks i don't i don't know how yeah expensive they're they are. 59 58 bucks 
I don't have one, but that's just because everyone else seems to have them, so I have no need to acquire one. But I know, obviously, how they work and everything and goes with them. But they're pretty self-explanatory. It's just, it looks like a remote, like a TV remote. And then it's got, I think, four to five lights that go from, like, green, yellow, orange to red. And depending on energy that comes in contact with it, it'll go from green being lowest to red being high, and we call those spikes of uh, energy that it picks up on. But one of the things that you have to know about the K2 is getting false positives. Now, one of the things we do when we do residentials is we go into their house and we do baselines, right? So we go around with our equipment and we get a baseline, but we tell them to turn off their routers. Since we were talking about EMF and routers, you put up K2 next to a router, it's gonna go straight red. So when we're investigating, we don't want that interference. So we tell the homeowners, can you turn off your router? And we do the same thing with our phones. We put our phones on airplane mode or turn them off because if you get a message, K2 is gonna light up because it's getting that signal. So we try to get all the stuff out so they don't interfere with our evidence. So that's one of the things we do. And then once everything's turned off, then we go through, we get a baseline, whether it's in milligauss or whatever, and like, okay, I got, usually this room stays about constant in a 0.2. So if it goes anything above that, then we can attribute it to something else because it's not a normal thing that happens in that room. And so K2 is more of a simpler version. You just kind of sit there and if it spikes up, then you're like, okay, you might have something. So that's when you have to go into more advanced techniques when you say, okay, if you're here with us, can you make the K2 go off? And if it bleeps up and you're like, okay, can you make it go to a certain color? And then if you know you're talking to someone, you can have it go light up for yes and you can ask yes yes questions and just stuff like that and then when it's going off you can also say okay stop making it go off and if they do stuff on command then you have a good sense that what's happening is an actual interaction between a spirit and that's something again pretty simple that anyone can acquire and it's it can be a useful tool but it's just one of those things where you have to know not everything just because it blips up to the red you're dealing with a spirit. You have to kind of feel out what you're dealing with and try to come up with potentially a logical explanation for why your K2 is going off. And if multiple people in your group or part party that you have has K2s and one's going off and another one's not going off, then you can kind of say, well, that's not something natural because if it was something explainable, then both would be going off at the same time. That's a good, uh, good tool to have and I would recommend it. It's We've gotten some good stuff from it, and it's not one of those big in-your-face, ooh, ah, you know, it's just a light blimping, but it's definitely something you can utilize to to advantage. Yeah, and to add to that, I mean, it, it's a fairly simple piece of equipment. I mean, you can, you can get a K2, take it up to your electrical panel, and put it up to your electrical panel, and you can see how well grounded your electrical panel is and how much EMF bleed-through that there is. Now... David is a electrician by trade. Now, obviously, he's got more advanced equipment to be able to determine that in the electrical industry, but it's kind of based off of the same concept, would you say, David? Yeah, because spirits have electrical energy. We've determined that spirits are made up of electrical energy and EMF, and they correlate with the stuff in our real life, and that's what we think spirits use to gain energy, whether it's draining our batteries or using electricity. So they kind of, they do correlate. So if it's not properly insulated electrical stuff, they could potentially get that bleed through coming through your house and use it and sap it up as energy. 
And so essentially, the process that we usually go through is if it's an older house, I'll also check the appliances in the house as well. So the microwave, the, the stove, the fridge. You wouldn't believe how much stuff actually puts off EMF within your current household. And those are the things that we have to weed through first before we can actually even investigate because we got to see how much bleed through is coming through. I mean, hell, there was uh, that house in Ogden that we did. Were you with me on that one? Uh, where we teamed up with another team? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and everywhere in that house, my RK2 stayed at like a constant orange, orange to red throughout the whole entire house. That house was so badly done that I honestly believe that the spirits that were there were feeding off that energy and causing chaos, but it didn't help that the high EMF in that house was also playing a part in that as well. You know, playing tricks on the human psyche. Because we're not built to take a lot of EMF for long periods of time. Anybody that works in IT, you know, you walk into a server room and you're in there for an extended period of time and you walk out of that server room, you're going to have a headache. The food, the food industry, if you're a chef, because yep. kitchens, like we said, are, are very bad. We did one where it was a restaurant, and the kitchen obviously has high EMF, but there's an upstairs, and the room above the kitchen was also getting high EMF. That's how much bleed-through was coming through that kitchen that even upstairs was getting affected by the EMF. But if you're in the dining room, there was, there was nothing, so that's just how bad the EMF is. Yeah, definitely. It's shocking on how much EMF bleed through that we get from most common appliances that we have in our house or in your office or in your restaurant. So it always helps to have your house grounded and have your electrical panel updated, lines updated, outlets updated, everything updated. It's always beneficial to do that because one, you don't want to have electrical fire and two, you don't want to think you're going crazy because the high EMF in your house is causing hell on your human psyche paranoid paranoia stuff like that so we go around and we check all that we check the electrical panel well i'll even check the walls like i'll put my k2 against the wall right above an, a light switch and i'll flip that switch on and then i will trace it up and down the wall and if i'm not getting any sort of bleed through then we're good we're copacetic but if there's a lot of bleed through well we're gonna have to count that in as well on top of what else we find so K2 is, it's sensitive. I, I would say it's probably, the K2 is probably more sensitive than the Tri-Field and the Mel. Wouldn't you say, David? Yeah, yeah Tri-Field. Uh, there's also, it's, so you got the Mel's, the Mel meter is like a, like an analog type. And then I also have, it's called a electronic Mel meter that it, it does sensors differently than the male does but it does the same thing when it measures milligauss but that i'll talk more about that uh males on a different episode yeah but would you say would you agree that it, the k2 is probably the most sensitive out of all of them yeah it's it's pretty sensitive i don't think it takes much i mean mm -hmm. a good example is benson if anyone's familiar with benson gris mill and we can talk well obviously probably have a good couple episodes on that in the future there's a tower there a cell tower and you can be like pretty far away, like a good hundred feet away from it, and the K two can still pick up on that tower. Oh, so you yeah. got you got a whole neighborhood in the area that's got high EMF just because of a tower right there. Which the placement of that cell tower, I kind of question personally, but you know it is what it is. I've 
for how many times we've been out there, it still blows me away that I see other paranormal investigators going out there and be like, oh my god, my K2's just been going off this whole entire time. Yeah, I can tell you why. It's that cell tower right over there. It's not paranormal. So essentially, if you ever go to Benson Grist Mill, don't plan on ever using a K2 because it's going to be completely worthless for you in that location. But it's like everything else. Cell towers put off EMF. Uh, satellite dishes put off EMF. Anything that's electrical will put off EMF. And the point for the K2 is so that way you can measure those low-level milligals. Because, let's face it, spirits do put off energy, but do they put off high energy or do they put off low energy? Nine times out of ten, it's usually low energy. That's what the K2 is made for. It's to catch the, the small milligals, the low-level milligals. And if you want to get even more scientific than than that, I mean, God, there's there's pieces of equipment out there that scientists use to measure the EMF that's coming from the ground. They also use other pieces of equipment to be able to determine, you know, earthquakes and where volcanoes are and so on and so forth. I mean, you 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 that that's a whole nother wormhole that you can dive down into. But essentially, the K2 is probably the most sensitive EMF piece of equipment that anybody that can obtain in the paranormal field. Right, David? Yeah, yeah, and it works. I mean, you can go to a place that really doesn't have any type of electricity at all, and you can still get your K2 to go off. So, I mean, that kind of helps validate it as a piece of equipment, knowing that not everything electrical in the area is setting it off. You can be in the middle of nowhere and have spirits still communicate with you because they have their own electricity to them. Yeah. So that will wrap up our episode, our number three episode of this podcast. I forgot to mention in the last podcast, I will be adding in the last two podcasts. I forgot the last two uh, episodes to add in that I will be adding in EVP evidence that we were talking about on the last two episodes. Unfortunately, I'm not going to have anything to upload for today, but this is a longer than normal episode. We're trying to shoot for about an hour, an hour and a half, so it's right in that sweet spot. But luckily, we were able to make it in that particular time frame. I just don't have any evidence to present to you for this episode. But the last two episodes will have evidence in them. I just forgot to mention that in the last two recordings. But outside of that, thank you so much for listening to us. We look forward to having another episode come out here soon. Just a brief description of the next episode. We're going to talk about sensitive abilities, mediumship, stuff like that. We'll also be talking about a residential case and another piece of equipment that David would like to talk about. But that's on our upcoming episode. Thanks so much for listening in and you have a great rest of your day. See ya. You are listening to the Bear River Paranormal Podcast, BRP Podcast. If you or you know of someone who is having issues with an entity or a possible haunting, please send us an email, text, or call. You can find all of our information at www.bearriverparanormal.com. We work 24-7 so we can resolve your paranormal issues quickly and as conveniently as possible. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Bear River Paranormal Podcast. Toss us a rating or a review. You can also find us on Facebook, at BRP Podcast. If you are interested in sponsoring us, please send us a message. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Thank you for listening, 
and have a great rest of your day.